my fondest dream is that gold goes to zero, which means everything else works. If my gold becomes $10,000, oh, we're in bad shape because gotcha. gold should... Gold is your insurance policy. It's my insurance policy, but gold at that price means everything else is falling down around our our, our heads. So, um, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who want gold to go up, but gold not reacting tells me the world hadn't come to an end, mm. and I don't want that. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and Thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by N. Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. John Malden, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Robert, it's good to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun today. I hope so, and I think so. Um, you are a very interesting man. Uh, just by way of quick introduction, you are an economist, an author, and the founder of Malden Economics. That is correct. And the father of eight kids. Eight kids. Wow, I did not know that. By five different women. Wow. Quite, quite the virile man you are. Well, that's not kind of the case. It <laughs> sounds more fun. We adopted five, and my wife had one. So I have. Oh, okay. okay, so I wasn't there at the beginning. Okay, okay, okay. So, but I have, I have. You got me. I got two black sons, two Asian daughters, a blonde brunette, and a redhead. Wow. And a Choctaw Indian. Wow. Quite so, the clan you've got. Quite there. the clan. Wow. What Great, is the age range? Uh, forty-six. Forty. 46 to uh, 24. Wow. Good for you, man. I, yeah. Hats off, honestly. Like, I've always thought... Well, that's why I'm losing my hair back there. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanna, I have one daughter. Right. 
natural daughter. I want to have as many kids as I can. And if I can't have any more, then I'd probably do something similar. I'd like to adopt. I think I, I think it's really valuable that people, when people do that. It has been, I mean, I will tell you that seven or eight is too many. But I, you know, and at any one given time, I've got two that I'll trade you. It's just never the same two at the same time. <laughs> they, they kind of rotate in and out. But, but it's it's an absolute blast. Yeah. And, and now I've got eight grandkids. But the interesting mix of my family, because they grew up in a multicultural family. Right. So now I have I only have one Caucasian grandkid. Really? The rest of them are, are mixed something. Wow. So it's a very colorful family when we get together. That sounds like a beautiful family. Well, congratulations, sir. That is a great, great life you've created there, a great legacy you've created there. Um, I did, Okay, sorry, you got me distracted on family stuff now. I want to get on that rabbit hole. We've only got a 40-ish minutes here today, so let's talk about you. Uh, you are a brilliant man. You've been in economics for a long time. You are currently writing a weekly letter? I write a weekly letter. I've okay. been writing it for 24 years yep. uh, called Thoughts from the Front Line. The readers can get it simply by going to just Google John Malden, M-A-U-L-D-I-N, and it'll come up, Thoughts from the Front Line. Stick your email address in. You're one of my one million closest friends then. Awesome. Wow, uh, one million. That's huge. Well, it's, that's the that's the old days, but that's that's the catchphrase. Yeah. The... the um, I've, you know, I've, I've written eight books. So I've, I've made my, I've kind of made my bones around, uh, the whole macroeconomic world. So. Yeah. Got it. So what, let's talk about the letter you wrote. You said you wrote one today, right? Oh, one this morning. It'll be out tomorrow morning. Okay. Can we, since it's fresh on your mind, let's talk about what you're writing about today. Well, we're, we're it's going to be part of a three-part series because we're talking about inflation mm-hmm. and why the Fed is going to be challenged because, we wake up this week and inflation's 3% and everybody does what humans being do. They give us a linear uh, projection. Yeah. So if inflation has been going down, then everybody right. projects it. You know, it's right. like you. When you make, when you get three big checks in a row, sure. you start projecting it into right, the future. Right, right, and, you, right. you know, and if I do that, I'm going, oh, my God, I'm going to be making $7 million a month in 10 years. Right, right, <laughs> you know, right, right. right. This curve, that linear extrapolation, yeah, it, it, prone to. But, yeah, but yeah. what happens is that inflation is not a month. You can get a monthly number, but the the headline that we mm-hmm. look at is a twelve month number. Got it. And so the current number is important, but the month from the number from twelve months ago is also just as important. Mm-hmm. So if you look at what inflation is was going to be for the next six months from last year. It's a much tougher base. So even if inflation was 0% right. for the next six months, which it won't be, yeah, um, it would still be at 2.7%, 2.8% for the year. Uh, if we get a 2% inflation or 3% inflation, now you're looking at 3.7%, maybe 4%. I mean, if you take what inflation was for the three years before COVID, mm-hmm. uh, it'll be 3.8%. If that's... If, that low inflation that we think of, that's what we average. Yeah. That's what we're trying to get back to. Right. So it, the, the Fed's going to be challenged. And the problem is part of that big down drop, if you remember, inflation got kicked because we went into Ukraine. Uh, oil prices go to almost 120. Mm-hmm. And even though it's only a 7% factor plus other things, 
it doubles, so you got a 7% factor that's doubling. So you right. get a big boost in uh, inflation from that. Well, when the price goes down, it pulls prices back in. Uh -huh. What were what surprised me wasn't on my bingo card. Mortgage rates go to 7% and housing prices are still going up. Mm. Okay, I mean, we're building more apartments, but the price the prices of apartments are coming down, but they're not deflated. Right, right. So let's say the Fed gets successful and, and rates start coming back down on the long-term side. That's going to make more people want to buy houses, not fewer. I mean, if they're buying at a 7% mortgage, they're really sure. going to buy at a 5% sure. mortgage. Right, right, right. Uh, which, so it's going to make it, more difficult for the Fed to try to 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 bring inflation down. They're going to be fighting. This is not a two month or three month fight. Right. They're going to we're going to be higher for longer mm. than any of us would be happy with. That's just that's just what's right. kind of baked into the cake. Powell has gotten religion. He doesn't want to be Arthur Burns. And for the readers out there going, who's Arthur Burns? He was the chairman during the seventies, and he kept. Every time there'd be a new number, uh, something would come up. He'd say, well, that's transitory. And we went from where we were to transitory to, you know, mid-teens uh, inflation with everything being transitory. And it took Volcker coming in saying, okay, I'm going to put the economy in two back-to-back -back recessions because recessions are by definition deflationary. Yeah, of course. Okay, so I should say, I think in... Uh, um, Inflation is going to be three seven, three five, three six, somewhere in there at the end of the year. If we have a recession, this is the one caveat. If we actually have this recession we've been anticipating for years now. We actually have it. Then inflation will go down. But this waiting for this recession has been, you know, like watching paint dry. It's just right. been a long time. Right. right. Yeah. It's there's a lot of great points. So, do you think that this is a consequence? of us being in kind of a late stage fiat currency paradigm where we had, we saw this in the seventies a little bit, right? Stagflation or economic right. growth oh, stymied, but yeah. inflation's going up. Um, it seems like, as you said earlier, rates, interest rates are going up yet house prices are still going up. Right. So, and inflation is finally starting to come down, but it's taken a long time. So to what extent does are the current, economic climate have to do with the rate at which we have expanded the money supply over the past few years because it has been an unprecedented expansion of m2 i think the numbers i've heard are like 40 percent out of every dollar that's ever existed has been produced in the past three years Some, something like that but the the inflation was basically driven by um in my opinion the excess spending the def deficits on top of deficits uh you know, in the stimulus from COVID, plus we shut off supply. And then, gee, we're shocked when demand comes back, when you put extra money in people's hands. So, yeah, you get inflation. Our future challenge is going to be we're now at a debt of 30, almost $3 trillion. I mean, when when Reagan was running- 30, 30 trillion, right? 30, yeah, 30, it was, it's 32 and pushing 33 now. I mean, we're- we're when when you're running a trillion and a half, two trillion dollar deficit, it starts adding up. Right, and that's 140 percent of GDP, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, and uh, now Japan runs a 230 uh, percent debt to GDP, and but they have no growth. And what we know, 
what Rogoff and Reinhardt, what a maybe more conservative uh, economists will tell you, is that debt is a drag on growth. So we're going to get into this uncomfortable position in a few years where inflation's back down to under 2%. Yay. Well, unfortunately, we're not going to be happy because GDP growth is going to be in 1%. I mean, when I first said in early 2000 that we're going to do, we'll be lucky to do 2% growth for the entire decade of the aughts. Yeah. And everybody said, oh, you're so bearish. Turns out it, I was an optimist. It was 1.9%. Mm. And same thing for the for the last decade. I said, again, we'll do 2%. That's right where we were. I think we're going to do 1% this decade. And because we're, we're going into this overburdened debt, and that's eventually going to cause a crisis. Right. But that's a story for the next uh, interview. <laughs> Well, it's it's just it's a good point though, right? You, the there are limits to indebtedness. At some point, the debt service cost starts to inhibit your ability to have economic yeah. growth. It's like putting a heavier and heavier ball and chain on the economy, something like that. Well, I mean, we're we're getting to the point now where I think we are at it, where the interest uh, on the uh, debt is more than defense spending, right? And uh, more more than um, I've, I've heard. I think it it starts to exceed government revenues. So where they have to actually print money to pay the interest on well, existing and, debt. And, and when you get to that place... It's hyperinflation stage one. Well, no, it doesn't become hyperinflation. It becomes a... Uh, it could be. I mean, they, they, they could do that. But I think more than likely the bond market will throw up. And I wrote about six weeks ago that what we're in fact going to have to have is a crisis uh. in the late, late 20s. And it's only in the middle of a severe crisis, not a mild crisis. I'm talking we're a, a, we're not nobody's happy crisis right. that people will be willing to sit around and compromise. I mean, you would have never gotten the compromises you had in 2008, right? Okay, without oh, without you know, pain, w- without oh my God, we're all going to die. We're going to have to do something different. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll we'll get to that again, and we will resolve it. We will muddle through. World won't end, but it'll be bumpy because no solution to too much debt, too much spending, not enough revenue is easy. Right. Because you're, you know, in one case, people are going to say we need to tax more and we probably will have to increase taxes, but it won't, it won't be income taxes. It'll probably be something like a value added tax. Right. And we're going to have to cut spending in places that we don't want to cut. I mean, I get, and I've written about this, so it's I can say it in public. I get fifty thousand a year from Social Security. That's up from forty-two years ago because just the right. inflation increased it. Right. They should means test in uh, Social Security. It's not an entitlement. It's I mean I paid into it, um, yeah. but the reality it's it's just a, a welfare program. It, you know yeah. I mean it's it's. It's good that we have it, that it's a safety net program that's important. So I'm not demeaning at all. But then in a country where we can't meet our budget, we're going to have to means test thing. We're going to have to means test uh, uh, Medicare. All of those compromises that nobody's willing to do now. Mm-hmm. When you're, you know, they're, off- they're offering you a blindfold and your last cigarette. Then you start thinking about compromises. And, and that's where we'll be. So it'll be very important who's going to be in control of those compromises. Um, 
it would actually be probably best if we had a split executive Congress mm. because the last time we balanced the budget was we had a Republican Congress with Gingrich and, and, and Clinton was the uh, president. And they were able to um, come to a compromise. You get a Republican-controlled um, uh, Congress and White House under Bush. Guess what? We, we went from running surpluses to running debt. It got worse under Obama. Uh, Trump never cut anything. Uh, Biden's worse. I mean, it just makes you want to sigh, but that's what we're Well, it's easy to spend money that's not yours, right? Yeah. I, I always go back to what Nietzsche said, that everything the state has is a lie. Everything the state has is stolen. So very easy to not be fiduciary, to not be a responsible fiduciary when you've stolen the money from the taxpayers in the right. first place. So I'm not surprised in the least. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, The Gold Investment Letter. The Gold Investment Letter helps sophisticated investors navigate capital markets and maximize their profits in trading gold, silver, and mining stocks. The Gold Investment Letter seeks out the most undervalued companies and identifies special situations in the mining sector and then provides in-depth analysis on both their financial positions and future prospects. The Gold Investment Letter explores many complex domains, such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends, all with the goal of making you a better investor. The Gold Investment Letter offers a free version and a paid premium version, and I strongly recommend you at least sign up for the free version, because after having read a few of these issues, I can promise you it is a treasure trove of good information. You can sign up for the free newsletter today at goldinvestmentletter.com. I have to ask you a question. You can ask me three. And, and it is the most important question on this show. <laughs> John, what is money? I'm part of the George Gilder fan club, I guess. I think, I think uh, and he writes persuasively, especially in his last book, uh, Life After Capitalism, time is money. And is uh, money also time? Yes, the way it works out. I mean, yeah. we think of money as our gold or our dollars or our credit cards or whatever. But the reality is time reflects the value of money. Time reflects the value of service. Mm. Uh, you work, you build up this thing we call money because it, you spent time making that money. Yes. Whether it's hourly wages or profits from your business or profits from your investment, you, that's it represents a certain time value. Yes. And... That time translates into your ability to buy stuff, 
to save stuff. Um, but but it's it's the best explanation of it is to go to Gilder's books. Uh, if he wrote a very famous book in '82 called Wealth and Poverty, Reagan's most quoted book. Then he wrote uh, Knowledge and Power here about five six years ago. Very very important. But he summarized it. I, I always said he he put too much stuff in in. Uh, uh, knowledge and power, and he agrees. I, we had dinner last night. Uh, someday I want to be 83 years old and as in shape as he is. Uh-huh. He and his he and his wife were still out on the dance floor. BB King's. Wow. Uh, you know when we left, the, uh, us young, amazing. us young guys just couldn't 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 couldn't. He's in his 80s. Uh, he, oh yeah. Wow. Uh, he, and he just won a world um, uh, uh, half marathon championship for his class. It. Wow. So I mean he's that's what I want to be in shape. <laughs> I want to be in his shape now, let alone when I'm 83. Yeah. Uh, so, may I ask you? Go ahead. A question. If so, and I, I actually believe that as well. Like I've described money as time, time as money, uh, in a lot of my writing. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're using that description of money, doesn't that mean that a central bank that can produce new units of currency ad infinitum out of thin air? And they can externalize the costs of that. For, they're diluting the savings of savers, right. right? Aren't they effectively stealing time from savers if they're stealing purchasing power by expanding the currency supply? Roughly, you're correct. Now, the reality is they could grow the money supply at nominal GDP. Okay. Right. Okay. Three, four, five percent, whatever. Still be stealing that growth. No, right? because because the 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 country itself, the GDP itself, is growing, and you actually uh, you actually have to have some lubricant, and you got to have some oil. Mm-hmm. Money money is right. serves that lubricant function. Um, if you if you had a flat static supply, that would mean. Um, uh, I mean, the purchasing power of savers is going up. Oh, the purchasing power of savers absolutely would go under up, up under that. But a gold standard is almost by definition deflationary. Mm-hmm. Um, now it would be nice. We'll never see one. Um, and and you were talking about you know central banks always do. You got you can have low inflation and a central bank actually you know modestly printing money like Switzerland. Yeah, uh, Sweden's figured out. Norway's figured out to how to control their inflation with much smaller economies than, than the U.S. does. So. In our particular case, we've got 12 people sitting around a table trying to decide the price of the most important thing in the world, exactly. which is the interest rates on the right, dollar. of course. And rather than just saying, what is the market going to do? I don't think there are not a lot of people that believe that the market would be pushing rates up to 5.5%, soon to be 6% by the end of the year Sure, um, in and of itself. It's a consequence of central planning and the money. Well, it's a consequence of they waited too damn long to, you know, increase the prices because they were looking at a backward uh, um, uh, 12-month lag. And now they're looking at the same 12-month-old data. And so they they go in and say, well, we're data-dependent, whatever that is. Uh, And no, let's look at some real-world stuff. But that's not what they do. I mean... uh, you understand the Federal Reserve is handicapped. They really are. They have 500 PhD economists, and that's about as big a handicap as you can have. Because I mean, they've got all this data. They have everything that 
I write and 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 and, and you know all this analysis. Yeah. And they still come up with, you know, they're behind the curve constantly. Well, of course, because they're a non-market institution, right? It's it's the when. In Soviet Russia, when they tried to plan the prices of nails rather right. than letting the market determine it, they couldn't do it in a way that allocated the capital effectively. So they started looking across the pond at us to see what the price of nails was. So I guess my question is, what purpose does the central planning of money serve? It doesn't seem like it helps anyone other than the shareholders of the central bank. It hurts the common man and society. So well, why why do we have central banking? Is it not just a giant scam? No. You actually need a central bank to provide its, its there was a gentleman in the 1880s that they founded the Economist magazine and his name was Walter Badgett. It's spelled B A G E H O T but the the British pronounce it Badgett. And he said that purpose of a central bank in a crisis is to provide capital, liquidity, to the system against good assets at a high price. So when, when they, Morgan and the others, you know, went to Jekyll Island and created the Fed, they had just come through one, I mean, we'd been through three or four major panics and a bunch of minor panics for the last 40, 50 years, and they were tired of that. Now, never in their minds did we have something like the Federal Reserve today. They were just wanting somebody to backstop banks, which frankly we have. The banks are are like the the blood veins. It's how the it's how the the blood blood goes through our body. Right. Right. But that doesn't mean that they should be setting the price of money. That doesn't mean that uh, they should be doing have worry about unemployment. All they should be worrying about is keeping the value of that money stable. That's that should be their number one goal, and then getting out of the way. The, their only real role to me is providing liquidity in a crisis. So, 2008, 2009, yeah, you needed a central bank. 2011, 2012, if they'd have gotten out of the way, would have grown, would have come back a lot faster. I think. Yeah. So, so and maybe that's counterintuitive to what you know people say, but you, believe me, when you're when if you go back and read about the panics in mm-hmm. 73, 1907, some of the others, um, you're happy to have a central bank when we have those moments. So, But other than that, I wish that'd be, I, I wish nobody cared about what the Federal Reserve does and we didn't wait on the next minute. Yeah. I mean, when a Federal Reserve ma- uh, uh, member becomes a rock star, something's wrong gotcha. with your economy. Gotcha. If the primary role of the central bank is to maintain the purchasing power stability of the currency, it should be, yes, should be. Yet we have seen the dollar depreciate over 99% in the past 100 years since post inception of the Federal Reserve in 1913. What does that say about the effectiveness of our implementation of central banking? What it says is that not so much in the 20s and 30s, but then later, they decided that a little inflation is good because it helps um, uh, borrowers, and the government became a borrower. Uh, there you go. It and, helps and, the government, which is the biggest borrower. Which is so the a little bit the of theft, 
to offset my borrowing cost is a right. good thing for me, I, the biggest borrower in the I, room. I, I, argue, I, agree, I argue that 2% inflation is too much because 2% inflation says that you're going to lose half your purchasing power in uh, uh, 36 years. And, yeah. and uh, 3% inflation, you're going to lose you know, ha half your purchasing power in 24 years. So um, you can make a theoretical argument, and we can argue all day long about what it should be, but the Fed is absolutely terrified of deflation. I mean, when, when, right. you, when you're appointed to the, to the Fed, they take you in a back room, they do a DNA change, and you now are completely on board with fighting deflation. That's their right. bugaboo. Right. They shouldn't worry about it. I mean, we don't care that the price of electronics go down. I don't care that my TV's cheaper. Or I mean, that's I'm happy about that. Yeah. What's gone up is the price of things the government subsidizes, like housing, healthcare, student student loans, and colleges. Those things go up in value. Well, so I mean, or up in price rather. Right. Right. What is the difference between expanding the currency supply, what they do inside of the Federal Reserve, versus someone on the street producing a counterfeit U.S. dollar bill? What's the difference? Well, legally, one's counterfeit, but the the is there it, an economic difference? I realize there's a legal difference. We well, can point it, the guns out and say you guys can't do it, we can. But economically, is there any difference? Yes. And it starts to become a distinction without a lot of difference. But but there is. I mean, in my particular view, now that we've got AI, we could probably just say, you know, let's determine that what, what we want the money supply to expand at. Uh, and in my view, nominal GDP is fine. Because it, it as long as the economy is growing... Then you, if the money supply grows in tandem with it, you're not gonna you're not gonna have um, a, a inflation at at any yeah. You want to price rate. inflation, but you also won't have that purchasing power accreting to savers. So it's they're losing purchasing power gains they would have otherwise received. Okay, and so if you can get the votes, for, then you can say we want inflation to be zero, and then we'll set our computer to zero. Do we get to vote for that though? I don't think we well, would have to vote for who's inside the Fed. Uh, you would have to, uh, you'd have to vote for a president who's going to be committed to sound money, and we haven't had one of those. I mean, Steve Forbes ran, uh, but I mean, I mean, they couldn't even let Judy Shelton onto the board. The, the, the one lady that might have said, you know, argued for sound money and 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 a gold standard, they wouldn't even let one possible dissenting vote. Thank you, Mitt Romney. Uh, to get on the board. I mean, at least she would have made it a little bit more lively. Uh, but they don't allow dissent anymore. It's, 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 uh, and Powell goes out of his way to make sure that nobody dissents. Uh, they won't be through raising rates until you start getting, uh, split votes of, you know, two or three, uh, FOMC members saying, no, we've gone far enough. When that starts right. happening, but and we haven't gotten anywhere close to that. There's pretty much unanimity. They're going to raise rates again here in three weeks, and I think they're going to do it against one more for once more before the end of the year. Hmm. Now, um, it's almost like they're they're going to keep raising rates 
until they break something. And when you get a when you break something, you get a recession. Then, you know, unfortunately, you get unemployment. You get all the negative side effects. But inflation will come down. Though they can cut rates, they think they can handle a recession easier than they can handle inflation. Probably true, but I would prefer them not handling it at all. Mm. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. So I've described, I say inflation is legal counterfeiting. Counterfeiting is Correct. criminal inflation. So <laughs> that, that's a good line. I'm going to steal that. Uh, it's all yours. It's all yours. What would the world look like if we could somehow disband these currency counterfeiting cartels we call central banks? Would the world be better off? Would the world be worse off? I mean, I have a strong view that it's just organized crime. We need to get rid of it. You've said at least there's some purpose or function to the central well, bank. The, 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 Is it a net benefit or a net detriment for the human race? Every country has their own currency. So you've got to have some mechanism for that currency to be moved back and forth, uh, to be handled on reserves. Every because, country has its own currency because it has its own central bank. If well, we didn't have central banks, we might just all be using gold. Well, that's true, but you're asking what should be versus what will be. We're, well, we're asking, never, hypothetically, I mean, if we did have a gold standard, let's say, would it be net benefit or net detriment for human if beings? If you could get everybody in the world to agree, then yes. But the answer is you won't get that um, and it, I mean, we keep hearing the story Russia's going to create a gold back currency. And I hope so because nothing will destroy C Russia faster because they make their currency actually convertible. Everybody will hit it and they'll, they'll start going through their gold. It's, we have, you have to remember that Nixon had to close the gold window because de Gaulle said, I don't trust you guys anymore. Here are my dollars. I want your gold. And the French kept hitting the gold window, taking gold from Fort Knox and, our, you know, and the right. Fed. And Nixon had to say, that's all the pain we can handle. Yeah. And that's what would happen in the future. 
So understand, I've got gold sitting in a vault that I bought a long time ago. And it's gone up in value percentage-wise with my portfolio. But I don't think of gold as an investment. And, and it actually has been a comparatively lousy investment, even though I'm savings, right? Times. Uh, I consider gold to be central bank insurance. Okay. I'm my fondest dream is that gold goes to zero, which means everything else works. If my gold becomes ten thousand dollars, oh, we're in bad shape because gotcha. gold should. Gold is your insurance policy. It's my insurance policy, but gold at that price means everything else is falling down around our our, our heads. So, um, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who want gold to go up, but gold not reacting tells me the world hadn't come to an end, mm. and I don't want that. I mean, I would like my grandkids to inherit these funny round gold things and play checkers with them. <laughs> <laughs> that means the world has really turned out well. Okay, okay. Well... I agree with that, actually, but I don't think that's going to happen. Well, I, I, I think okay. when you have a central bank that can print currency, it just corrupts everything above it, and it okay. Uh, we see the world getting worse and worse. Well, I just described to you my fantasy. Movie. Yes, okay, yes, that yes. was my science fiction book. Right, right, <laughs> that's, right, right. That, that's that's not anything that I'm telling you is yeah. going to happen. Uh, so, in reality, you would think that your gold's going to be much more precious. I, I am afraid that my gold is going to be more valuable. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, Where does Bitcoin fit into your worldview? Bitcoin is Bitcoin is the first step. Satoshi or whoever, when they created it, was looking at gold and said, I want to create something like gold with this kind of a finite number. Well, we've already lost 20% of our Bitcoin. So technically there's 20 or 21 trillion Bitcoin. Out there. Five, billion, 5 million of them, we don't know where they are. They've gone, um, I mean, the poor guy that I read about has got a billion dollars of Bitcoin and he can't right. find his, um, can't find his keys. Is, you know, um, it, it, that's just a shriek. That's a shrinking monetary supply. That's by definition deflationary. Now, it's a great trading vehicle. If you're a trader, it's wonderful. What there again, if you had, and, and I just had this conversation with, with George Gilder last night, he thinks a, uh, a cryptocurrency that's decentralized, it can't be centralized, it's got to be decentralized, and it's got to be some mechanism for steady but costly growth because time does have to be money. That energy translate, you have to spend something to create that value, and it needs to be an increasing spend. But so we, I think, I really think we'll go to a digital currency. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a central, U.S. central bank digital currency. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got some people begging for it, but Treasury right now and and the uh, Fed will, will say not no, but hell no. I really don't want our central bank creating a digital currency. I think that's the end of freedom. Because I don't, I don't want to be China where they can see everything in my wallet. Of course, um, and let alone have cameras over my shoulder. Yeah, it's very dystopian if they can see everything you do and turn off your money when they don't like what you do. Well, and and that's why, I mean, you're a little young to remember you weren't even born, but the the Chinese were buying. I'm sorry, the Japanese were buying everything. 
and they were going to own the world, and we were all, all going to be speaking Japanese. Well, 19, they ran their debt up to a monumental number, and it all collapsed in 89, and they still haven't come back, and they've had 0% inflation, 0% growth for 33 years now. Right. I mean, I don't want to become Japan either. 0% growth's a bitch if you've got kids and young because you need that growth. So they have the opportunity that I had. I mean, I lived in a very, very lucky period from 82 to today uh, where we're, you know, we're growing and there's opportunities there. I want my children to have that same opportunity. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, Definitely... To have an expanding economy offers you a lot of prospects as yeah. you're as you're growing up in the world, um, and I hope, I guess my hope is that Bitcoin's monetization holds central banks in check, reduces the amount of theft that they're inflicting on productive market actors by both giving people recourse to a money that's not inflatable and a form of money that can right. be, that can circumvent capital controls, so people get more free. People that are more free tend to become more productive and prosperous, and hopefully that would open up these uh, economic possibilities that you're describing for future generations. By the, by the way, I thoroughly believe that we will have a digital currency in 10, 15, 20 years. I'm not arguing against Bitcoin. I just think it's going to have to take a different form. I mean, if you think about it, Bitcoin hadn't been around all that long. 14 years. 14 years. So we're still trying. It's still it's still the first inning. We're still trying to figure out well, how, how this works. Top of the first inning, if we're talking in terms of gold, right? right. Gold's been money for 5,000 years. So, But things move a lot faster in the digital age. Well, it, 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 so we may not need 5,000 years. Maybe we need 25 years. Yeah. But we'll, it, I mean, I'm, I am... A very optimistic person. I'm optimistic on the human experience, on the human experiment. Technology is doing amazing things. I'm a huge fan of biotech. I mean, you're you're young enough. You're going to live for a very, very, very long time because we're that close to being able to hold aging and reverse it. Don't you, you know? Yeah. And uh, uh, so you know, and with the other things we're doing in technology, I'm I'm really optimistic. It's governments that I'm bearish on. <laughs> as am I, very bearish on governments. And uh, I do hope to live a long time, but as I think it was Jim Morrison said, the future's uncertain and the end is always near. So we've <laughs> got to just enjoy the ride. Um, okay, I've kept you probably long enough, good sir, but one last question. You said you recently moved from Texas to Puerto Rico. Yes. What, what incited that change and how has it been? Well, uh, we moved almost five years ago. And part of it was my wife and I were just ready to do something different. We were looking around, but Puerto Rico has a tax treaty. It's actually this IRS rule 663. So you're, you can move to Puerto Rico and you pay the Puerto Rican government 4% of your income that's non-U.S. source. So if you can source it in Puerto Rico, which a lot of people can, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you could, you could... You, yeah, you, could, yeah. you could easily move to Puerto Rico. You're going to pay 4% tax on that income as opposed to 40 right, plus state right. taxes. And you're, there's no capital gains. There's no dividend taxes on dividends or interest. I mean, it's, it's, it's really nice. It's a paradise. We should have moved there for the lifestyle. And oh, yeah, the taxes are good. Uh, 
you, I couldn't blow my wife out of there with dynamite now. Oh, she loves it, huh? She loves it. I mean, we're sitting in a great community, wonderful, deep people and neighbors. You're five minutes from the beach, five minutes from, from all the clubs, you know, 10 minutes from your Walgreens and CVS and doctors. It's it's a it's a very pleasant way to, to spend your life. So you went there for the tax treatment, stayed for the paradise. Stayed for the paradise. <laughs> nice. So well, that's lovely to hear. John, thank you so much for doing this. Robert, it's been awesome. We got to do this more often. Well, I'm happy to do it. Always good to talk economics, especially with a man of your stature. Um, thank you. Where can people yeah. find you on the internet? Well, sir. Google John Malden, M-A-U-L-D-I-N. Um, you'll find Malden Economics. Click on Thoughts from the Frontline. Stick your email address in. It's free. You're one of my you know, million closest friends. And I show up in your inbox every uh, Saturday morning. Sounds easy enough. John, thank you again. This is a great conversation. Great. Thanks for doing it. Fun. All right.